0: Well God bless you. God you can be seated, you can be seated. Let's just thank let's thank our worship team. Outstanding job. Thank you guys. You did great. Well, it's been great being here. I think the last time I you know, I forget really when it was that we were here. I mean the year that we were here, but it's so good to see Mick and Rhonda again and they took us out for some Lebanese food. And then after we ate, they said, now we're going to order the main. I said, what was it that we just ate? My God, <laughs> that is pure eating. Pastor Hartley, thank you so much for the invitation. And, and uh, 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 Natalie that's not here with us tonight. But it's just fantastic to see what the church is doing. The building that is now purchased and owned by the church. That's a miracle that's fantastic well are you ready tonight yeah, come no on. Come on. Oh, that's pretty good that's pretty good that's pretty good. I'm gonna say one more time are you ready tonight yeah. if you got your I want you to find second Kings with me second Kings chapter 5 we'll read this in just a moment second Kings chapter 5 but let me just uh, initiate it by saying this See, I'm I believe that there's that there's, there's you know God in his creation of us put certain innate desires inside of every human being that's why Jesus was able to connect at the level that he connected with with people because he understood what those were And one of those desires which I won't talk about tonight but one of them was the need of purpose if you'll notice how he spoke When he called the disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you. He was calling purpose out of their life. That's that's an an, an innate desire. It's like a, a story I read about Steve Jobs. If you have an iPhone, then you're familiar with Steve Jobs. When he was a young guy, after he had developed Macintosh, he walked up to a guy named John Scully. John Scully was the, the uh, advertising guru of Pepsi-Cola at that time, a man that was making seven digits. And here was this young Steve Jobs that walked up to an individual that had reached the pinnacle in his career. And he said something to him that I think it's, it's, it's just a power. He understood the power of purpose. It's an innate desire inside of people. So this young Steve Jobs walks up to him and said, he said, John, do you want to continue to sell sugar water or do you want to change the world? And John Scully walked away from a seven-digit income to follow a guy with nothing more at that time than a dream. Purpose, purpose. Another thing that all of us have an innate desire is we want our life to count for something nobody wants to come to the end of their life and recognize or realize that it meant nothing to anybody but i think one of the highest compliments any of us ever receive is when somebody comes up to us at any time in life and they thank us for what we did for what we said for the prayers we prayed, for something that we did that marked them, that that changed the course of the direction of their life, and we felt at that moment that our life counted for something. If you could if you could picture in your mind the end of your life, if we had on this is this is not the most pleasant subject, but if we had a if if, if we put your coffin On this platform and you were able to look inside of it and see yourself and this auditorium was filled with family friends co-workers and church family what would you want them to say at that moment because what you and I would want them to say at that moment will tap the deepest sense of values that all of us have in life and I dare say that all of us would want the same thing at that moment Nobody in here would want somebody to say, oh man, they made a lot of money. You could care less at that moment. Nobody would want them to say, boy, they were, they gave it all, <clears throat> all for their job, but none for me. I think all of us would want things like, they were there for me. They listened. They had a heart that was open. They impacted my life. It's because of the way they live that I'm living the way I live now see all of that boils down to a central theme that we value and desire within our life to know that we made a difference in the life of another human being somehow we were the crossroads to somebody it might have been a smile it might have been a handshake it might have been a kind word It might have been praying for somebody for years and they finally came to the acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. But with all of that said, we want that in our life. We want to know that our life counted, made a difference. And so in a few moments, I'm going to read a story that's taken from 2 Kings chapter 5. It's a story, it's an unusual story. In fact, let me just begin to read it and just unveil this story in your mind. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. It said now Naaman commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria He was also a mighty man of valor. Now let me just pause right there. Just pause right there. Just pause right there. Look at me. Don't look at the screen. Look at me. Look at me. I don't want you to read ahead of me. Look at me. Because this story is about to take a massive turn. You see, Naaman evidently was a brilliant commander. He was head and shoulders above most generals. He was outstanding in everything he did. He must have been because of the next statement. Because this story all of a sudden takes this, this strange turn of events. And as it begins to describe the caliber of man Naaman was. And as it builds his accolades, his resume, and all of a sudden switches and it says, but... He was a leper, a leper. Now, he must have been great to overcome the devastation of leprosy and still hold that position. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around leprosy. I've been around a lot of leprosy in my life. And I've seen and taken, I've I've been in leper colonies. I've watched and seen men and women That have had acute leprosy where their fingers begin to fall off and they're nothing but nubs their toes begin to rot and fall their nose leaves them and there's two holes in their head where their nose was the devastation of it it's it's one of the most horrible diseases on earth so here was a man that was so good and so great as a general as a commander of the Syrian army so outstanding that his genius as a military man had to go beyond all of his physical horror, his physical disabilities. But he was a leper. You begin to see what kind of individual he was, what kind of influence he had in the nation of Syria, what kind of influence he can wield to the king of Syria at that time. But the story doesn't end there, it takes another twist. And the other twist is fascinating. Look, Listen to it. Listen to it. It goes on. And in verse 2 it says, And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, let me pause right here, so they went out, And they took as a slave this young girl young girl we don't know her age we don't know her name the Bible gives us neither and it gives us neither on purpose she could have been and probably was somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 13 or 14 years of age she was raised in Israel she was an Israelin she was brought back into Syria and she was she was a slave and made a servant as a slave to Naaman's wife. Now this girl having no name is not done by accident. God could have easily placed her name in the Bible, but he didn't. Because in a broader aspect, this girl is us. She could be us. She is us in a larger sense of the world, because she is going to teach us how one small act can make a difference in the life of an individual, that one small act can change a nation, could influence a nation. One small and all of us, because of her description, she was an Israelin. she was a young girl, 13 years old, 12, 14, somewhere in that neighborhood, she would have been overlooked by anybody, just like anybody in here can feel themselves overlooked. What good can I do? I don't hold a position of a Naaman I'm not in a in a hierarchy role I'm just an individual that's why she's us because she's teaching us that one small act can completely make a difference so big that it can redirect the course of history and if it doesn't redirect the course of history it redirects the course of a life of an individual which in turn will always redirect history because you never know how far it goes even in your death you still speak even when you're long when you're passed away what you've done here continues to go on that's why it takes an eternity to create the value or to see the value of the life of a human being one small act because here she was I, I love the story here she was. she comes and in verse 3 again then she said to her mistress Into her mistress, Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. If you continue on the story, you'll find out that this happened. And Naaman, as a result of it, turned to the God of Israel. One small act. One small act. When I think like this, I want to inspire you. Don't walk past. There's opportunities every day. Opportunities seldom come announced. They usually are packaged in a problem. And that's why we walk past them. You remember the story of what we call the Good Samaritan. That did not look like an opportunity. It looked like a liability. Here was a man lying on the edge of the road, beaten up, And bloodied a priest walks past he sees nothing but a problem a Levite walks past he sees nothing but a liability but a Samaritan comes and to this day there are colleges universities hospitals and churches all over the world that have taken the name of the good Samaritan he made such a difference because what looked like a liability what looked like an inconvenience, what looked like a problem was absolutely the greatest opportunity that that was given to him. So opportunities don't come with neon signs on them. If they did, we would grab them. They look like problems many times. But because they look like problems, it's the people that are tuned to people that don't see the problem, that don't see the liability, but see beyond it, not a history, but a heart, Not not a problem, but a potential in the life of another human being that unwrap what looks like a liability and from it comes an opportunity that switches and changes the course the destiny and the direction of the life of an individual every time I talk like this I think and I've told the story a thousand times I'm sure all over the world about the 80 year old Scot- Scottish pastor that pastored in the 1800s pastored the same church For 60 years when his denomination came to him one day and they said you got to retire we're gonna we're gonna put you you're too old you're 80 you pastored the church for 60 years that's enough he said I don't want to quit it's the only thing I'm gonna die doing this only thing I know so then they wanted to create value we so often take a standard a measurement of value and we apply it to the things of God and it doesn't work. And the measurement we use is a numerical measurement or a financial measurement. And when we use numerics and finances to try to create the value of the life of a human being, we'll always miss because God never uses those measurements. So his denomination did, they said, How many converts did you have last year? See, they're gonna take a numerical value system to create value on this old pastor's life. How many converts did you have? He said, one. One. What an insult. Just one? He said, just one. Well, who was it? Was he a wealthy businessman? See, he could add value to the church. He has money. He said, no. It was a nine-year-old boy. Oh, that's terrible. The pastor went on to tell him. He said, his family's so poor, they can't feed him. So they asked my wife and I to raise him. Oh, they didn't like that answer. Because not only couldn't this young boy add value, he was now draining a detriment. He was draining the church's income because they had to feed him. So they put the pastor out. But that pastor took that nine-year-old boy, him and his wife, and they raised him. They put their heart into him. And like all children, children do grow up. He grew up. His name was Robert Moffat. If you've ever studied the history of missionaries in South Africa, you'll know the name Robert Moffat because he was the first European missionary that ever stepped foot in the southern hemisphere of Africa. In fact, you can go to Gabron, Botswana, and you can see his hospital is still there run by his great-great-great-great-grandson. I've been there. Robert Moffat stayed in Africa for 30 years. He came back. He was in London. He was speaking to an auditorium of young men and women, 232 young men and women to be exact. And he said this, an exact quote. He said, I've just returned from the northern parts of Africa, meaning anything north of Cape Town. I've returned from the northern parts of Africa where I've seen the smoke rise from a 1,000 villages a day that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. When those words left, that old missionary's mouth those words were filled with spirit and life they moved throughout that building I'm sure they passed many people but there was one young man second row from the back on the end chair and those words entered his heart burned on the inside of him he bowed his hair and his head in prayer and said I will go to Africa the world today knows his name as David Livingston, the greatest missionary that ever walked the earth next to the Apostle Paul. He married Robert Moffat's daughter, went to Africa, started in Botswana, and spread the gospel. To this day, every person, every move of God in Africa can be traced back to David Livingston. He died in Zambia in a kneeling position with ulcers on his feet, the Africans loved him. He spoke 32 different languages. When the Africans carried his body 1,500 kilometers from Zambia all the way to Tanzania, the word got back to Great Britain that the great explorer and missionary David Livingston had died. They said, send his body back to Africa, send his body back to London. The Africans said no, England said yes, the Africans said no, so they broke into the ship, they cut his chest open, they pulled out his heart and his entrails, and they they said London, England can have his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. And they buried it under a mango tree. He affected a nation, but where did it begin? One small act of an 80-year-old Scottish pastor that no the history doesn't record his name, that poured his life into one boy called Robert Moffat that Robert Moffat spoke a word that entered the heart of David Livingston and the millions of people that have been saved in Africa and the 57 countries of Africa can be traced back to one small act. One small act. That's what this girl's showing us. If we could bring her up on this platform, this 13-year-old girl, this is Raylan, and ask her, what, wh- h- how does one small act affect? I think she'd say several things. I think she'd say this she said you can make a difference you could if you want to make a difference be confident be confident evidently this girl was confident confident enough to have enough courage within herself to speak up a lot of times we lose confidence i don't want to say anything oh i wouldn't want to interrupt a conversation i wouldn't want to Go to that person. I wouldn't want to go to that neighbor. We lose confidence, and I'll tell you why. We all do. You remember the parable of the t- there's a there's a there's a story in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, about parables. I mean parables, about talents. They gave five to one, two to another, and one to the last guy. The guy that had five used what he had and made ten. The guy that had two used what he had and made four. The guy that had one buried his he buried it and what he had was taken away and given to the the guy that made ten now I never liked this guy used to make fun of him I never liked him the guy that buried his talent. I never liked him I never liked him until I realized that you and I are more like that guy than anybody else why did he bury his talent he buried his talent for the same reason you and I bury ours because in our mind what we have right now the gifts the abilities what we have what you and i have right now we don't think it's enough to get our attention so it goes right past us we look at what other people have and we measure what they have we look at that oh if i could if i can have what they had if i was like them but we minimize we lose confidence in what we have because we consider it insignificant we lose confidence. I love this story about a young girl by the name of Agnes. Several years ago, Ginger and I were in Bulgaria with our friends. We drove, they're Bulgarians. In fact, we helped them start the C3 Staros Agora. That's my good friend, Lubo, we've known him forever. And so we were with Lubo and Tanya, and we drove from Bulgaria to Greece, from Greece to Albania. And then to, to, to uh, um, um, Moldova, um, yeah, Macedonia. And then Macedonia, we drove back to Bulgaria. I wanted to go to Albania. Those are the Balkan nations. There's nine of them. I wanted to go to Albania. The reason why I wanted to go to Albania is because of this young girl that I read about years ago. Her name was Agnes. Bulgaria, Albania is the poorest of all The Balkan, the word Balkan means hills, mountains. It's the poorest of all the Balkan nations, Eastern Europe, the poorest. But this young girl was born years ago, years ago, young girl. At 17 years of age, she has a moment with God, a moment. Bam. She doesn't know what to do with it. Several years later, she's now 30 years old. She's in Ireland. I don't know why she's in Ireland, but she's in Ireland, and she had this epiphany, this moment again with God. And that moment brought more clarity. Born in Albania, a poor nation, a young girl to poor parents in the poorest nation of all the Balkan nations in Eastern Europe. And that little dream, that little, that little moment with God brought her to India. She begins to walk the streets of Calcutta. The Hindus come up to her. They said, what are you doing? She said, I've come to bring dignity to the dying every person deserves to know god before they die they said what good can you do you're a woman in a hindu culture there's over a billion people here what good can you do she reached into her pocket she pulled out three coins she said i've got three coins and i've got god i can do anything the world knows her today as mother Teresa. she affected the world because little acts can make great things happen three coins that's all she had but she had God and she knew that God somehow she had confidence enough to pull out of her heart the little bit she had she might not have had backing she didn't have money she didn't have influence she was a poor a poor little albanian woman that dared respond to nothing more than a dream that god gave her but before she died there was not a king a prime minister or a president anywhere on the world that did not know the name of mother teresa she affected the world because little things make big things happen what else would this girl tell us she would say if you want to make a difference be credible credible It's not enough just to have good words how about a good life I gotta believe that this young girl right here whatever there she was like Joseph I love what the Bible says whatever there was to do he was the doer of it if you and I don't have credibility on the job credibility with neighbors credibility with people nobody listens to people that are not credible and how do we gain credibility the way we live, the way we work. I taught economics on a college level, and one of the things I would ask the students is how many in here are self-employed? Just a few hands would go up. Then I would say how many people are employed by a company, a corporation, or whatever the case might be. All the hands would go up, and I said, you're wrong. I knew that would get an argument out of them. You see, in reality, every human being is self-employed. Because when you work, every job you do is not a self-portrait or a portrait of the company. It's a self-portrait of you. You and I paint ourselves every day by the way we work and the way we live. And we take that with us. So, in that respect, everybody's self employed. And that creates credibility. Nobody listens to people that don't have credibility. This girl, whatever she did in her mistress's house, I promise you, she put her heart into it because she gained the credibility. She gained so much credibility that her mistress listened to her words. What else would she say? What else would she say if you want to make a difference? In somebody's life speak to people's needs everybody's got needs mother Teresa used to say if you'll treat everybody like they were hurting you'll treat 90% of the people correctly all the time everybody's got needs everybody's got hurts everybody's got something inside of them we had a one of our. Former associate pastor's father was a man that he had a heart attack and a stroke. And the stroke left him so incapacitated that his son told us for one year during his waking hours, all he did is sit at the edge of the bed and stare at a wall. That's all he did. That's all he did. He lived on a cocktail of 30 pharmaceutical drugs a day. That's so how we exist. So that's, not, that's, not, that's not life. That's not life. He would take the, he would take, they, 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 it, it, they, you take milk crackers and you crush them, the pharmaceutical drugs, and you drink them. That's how you live. It's horrible, horrible. He came to stay with us. His, 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 uh, his, uh, him and his wife came and started to attend our church. They moved and they began to attend the church. And Ginger, my wife, walked up to the man's name was Mr. Groomer. She walked up to him one day and she said, Mr. Groomer, I need you. She spoke to his needs. I need you. He said, what do you need me for? I need you to run our tape ministry. This was back when we had cassette tapes and we had a bank of these things. I need you to run this thing. Oh, he said, I can't do that. I can't do that. Well, sure you can't. Oh, no, I can't do it. He said, I never know when I'm going to wake up. She said, that's all right. Whenever you wake up, just come on in. He said, I don't even know when I'm going to fall asleep. That's all right. You feel like falling asleep, just sleep. But I can't do it. On my mind, I, 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 she said, I need you. I need you. Those are powerful words. It, it's amazing, isn't it, when somebody walks up to you and says, I need you. What does that do? It puts value on your life, it reaches something inside. Somebody's recognized me. Somebody sees potential in me. Mr. Groomer started doing that job. It's amazing what happened. I'm telling you, it's amazing. The pharmaceutical drugs started disappearing little by little by little. Clarity came back. See, physical healing is tied into spiritual well-being. It always has been. That's why the Bible says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in good health, even as your soul. His soul began to prosper. The drugs disappeared. Before he died, he came up to Ginger and he said, I want to thank you. I want to thank you. Because he said, you have lengthened my life. Everything, I be, everything my life opened up because I was needed. I was needed. Speak. This little girl spoke to a great need. He was a leper. There's a prophet. There's a prophet in Samaria that can heal him. She knew that. The last thing I would say, if you want to make a difference, do small things. Don't think that small things won't work. Okay, now listen, listen, I'm going to close on this. This is good. You've got this big Christmas spectacular coming. Coming, it's coming. It's coming in less than two weeks. Less than two weeks. You got all these brochures, 10,000. Brochures. We used to, twice a year in our church, we had bring a friend Sunday. I never had invite a friend Sunday because the word invitation is not in the Bible. Four Gospels, I put up three fingers, four Gospels. In those four Gospels, I used to call it the unnamed heroes of the Bible. It says it all through. You read it sometimes. It's everywhere. It says, "And they brought, and they brought, and they brought, and they brought, and they brought." They're unnamed. The Bible says, "I call they they're, they're, unnamed. they're the they're the men and women that saw people, and they it didn't say they invited. It said they brought them." They brought them. You're coming. This is great. It's a spectacular event. You're coming. I'm bringing you. And then we're going to have fun. So I told people, I said, don't invite them, bring them. If you bring somebody, they don't have a chance. You walk right up to them. You say, Mick, bring a friend. Bring. You're my friend. You're coming with me to church. I'm I'm taking you out for a meal. I've already made the reservations. I'm picking you up at 9 o'clock in the morning Sunday. You're coming. I'm not giving him a chance. He can't resist me because I'm bringing him. I'm bringing him. I'm bringing him. Come November 26th, we're bringing him. We're bringing him. We're not asking him. We're not inviting him. We're bringing them so i can remember we had this one guy he worked for the government he had a co-worker by the name of ernesto ernesto did three tours in vietnam he was one of the original navy seals he came he was what they call a tunnel rat meaning he had to go down the coochie tunnels and either he came out alive or he didn't and when he left he blew up and when he came he got married He came out of Vietnam, three tours, almost three years in Vietnam, and he was mentally destroyed. Began to drink a fifth of whiskey every single day, blew up his marriage, ruined his life. He was nothing but a hopeless alcoholic filled with the hatred, the fear, all the junk that went with Vietnam. He came back, and then this guy at the church walked up to him and said, Ernesto, you're my friend. I'm bringing you to church. He said, I'm not going. But he wouldn't let up on him three days and wore him down telling me he's going to bring him to church and said, say i'll go i'll go but then leave me alone he said deal ernesto came that sunday and he told me afterwards he said i don't know when it happened i don't know when it happened but somewhere in the middle of that service it's like my my life opened up and all this junk started coming responded to the altar call He gave his life to Christ Ernesto became our children's church pastor he married he married miss New Mexico he did good I did the wedding Ernesto did this he's still close to us he is the associate pastor today in a church in Corpus Christi Texas he's in his 70s today his whole life was altered because one small act, one small thing, you and I've got you've got a massive opportunity in 13 days to get a small act that can bring in a flood of individuals, and you can change the course of their destiny as a result of it. Stand up, stand up, stand up.